Hello and welcome back to another episode of After This, uh, the greatest and most amazing and probably most famous unification podcast on the <laughs> internet, which is probably not the greatest thing to tout. Um, my name is Daniel. My name is Carla. And I am Shannon. And this week, uh, Carla is going to be taking us through a topic that I've only very slightly researched, so this is going to be a lot of um, her explaining things. <laughs> Take it away. It's something that I've come across that I found really interesting and kind of wanted to dive into. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to be talking about the Centre for the Advancement of the Steady State Economy, uh, or Cassie. I'm going to pronounce it Case. Uh, Let's go with yeah. case. So we're doing a case study this week. We're we? doing a case study. Case study. Case study. Yes. So basically, I'll read their uh, mission statement. It is the mission of Cassie is to advance the steady state economy with stabilized population and consumption as a policy goal with widespread public support. Um, so I I can't even remember how I came across. Across this, I think it was. No, I've got no idea. Um, but it's. I thought it was interesting and, and relevant to this podcast because it is kind of looking at a future mm. economical state. I suppose saying that you yep. know basically we've humans have come far enough that we need to start thinking about not constantly growing anymore. Um, yep. And the current kind of economic system is really predicated on the fact that you need to have this constant growth in order mm-hmm. for everything to work kind of smoothly and yeah. without being too, you know, terrible. Well, I, guess, I guess we're getting to that territory of like consciously planning things. So, I mean, hmm. like it's going to a lot more things in this case, uh, things we haven't really talked about before, but obviously it's the same, it's the same principle. Yeah. 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 So I thought it was really interesting. So I'm going to also start by talking about their definition of the the steady state economy. Um, Mm -hmm. So this is from their website, steadystate.org. Uh, A steady-state economy is an economy of stable or mildly fluctuating size. The term typically refers to a national economy, but it can also be applied to a local, regional, or global economy. An economy can reach a steady state after a period of growth or after a period of downsizing or degrowth. To be sustainable, a steady-state economy may not exceed ecological limits. Mm. A steady-state economy entails stabilised population and per capita consumption. Birth rates equal death rates and production rates equal depreciation rates. Minimising waste allows for a steady-state economy at higher levels of production and consumption. Uh, Else equal, the steady state economy is indicated by a stabilised or mildly fluctuating gross domestic product GDP. GDP is not a good indicator of well-being, but it is a solid indicator of economic activity and environmental impact. Mm. Yeah, I think I did read that bit when I looked at the website before. I didn't. I don't think I got any further, but I did read that part. I, out of interest, um, is there any examples of things that like have existed that people have said this is sort of like a steady state economy or this is one? Not that I could find. Um, okay. Yeah. I didn't exhaust. I wouldn't think so, but like I, I, I don't know. Yeah, and and I guess the 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 way that they kind of. Well, okay. Let let let's move on, and I'll go through there. Can I, can I just um, ask you one question, quickly? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, so, who who are these people? Who is this steadystate.org? How did they come about? And um, 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. It's something I was going to kind of get, get into. To I'll, let, I'll, let later get, on. I'll let you get into that then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, those evil environmentalists. Blah, blah, well, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little bit not evil, but it is, a, it is quite a lot about the environment. So that's kind of, they push these three main reasons for why they, they want to move towards a steady state. So mm, environmental... Yeah protection, um, jobs and economic sustainability, and national and international security. Mm. So talk about the environmental protection first. Um, They have a calculation they call the footprint network, uh, which calculates that we use 1.75 Earth's worth of resources. Um, So this means it now takes the Earth one year and eight months to regenerate what we use in a year. Yeah. Uh, so I was just going to say, that's really interesting because mm. I know that um, my ex-partner was um, doing a conservation land management sort of course mm-hmm. and they used that um, footprint network to work out how many earths or mm. like average earth resources you use as an individual. And I think it's like the average person with a car and gets around in Australia uses four earths. <laughs> that's um, not good. And, and she used 0.5 earths, and that's because she didn't have a car. <laughs> oh, wow. A car yeah. makes that much of a difference. Yeah, yeah. I think together we were on average. I was like, well, together we were two earths for two people when we did our that's calculations. So I was like, oh. that's pretty good. I wonder what it's counting as resources. Like, is it counting like the stuff we, we interfere with through pollution? Like, Um, we're technically not using things, but maybe we're altering things to make them less usable for others. But it also calculates, like, how you, um, like, if you cook your own food, for example, like, people Mm. that that eat out and stuff like that Mm. always have single-use plastics. And, you know, I'll go down, and if if I go buy a salad, for example, if I go buy everything I need for a salad... I can use, bring my own stuff, like bring my own reusable bags and have zero carbon footprint. But if I go buy a pre-mixed salad thing, mm. then I've got the plastic. So then it puts you into that perspective of, oh, you're using a certain amount of earth because mm. this much plastic needs to get made, da-da-da-da-da. So mm. it, it's, okay. it, it really looks into how you actually, you know, live your life, get your food, what mm. you use and whatnot. So Yeah. Mm. I think I think it's about what what the earth is able to replenish. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah. So sure. Yeah, they say talk about like over harvesting forests. Like if we're yeah if we're um destroying more let's just be simple and say trees, then mm. what uh is regrowing each year, then that's gonna be yeah. a problem so at the I mean, moment that must, that, i mean because i know like a lot of countries have those um uh, what do you call it where they like they quadrant off sections of forest so when they mm. they carve through a quadrant and at the same, they've figured out the rate at which they can do it so that they're planting it again in the same spot that they carved through but mm. i know not every country does that and i think brazil's kind of famous for not doing that <laughs> so, um, yes. yeah have a look. So i think that must be the exceptions as well yeah, well, there's a, the, a lot of the exceptions are the fight, the mysterious fires that plague the um, the forests as well that don't get regrown into forests. Mysterious mm. fires? Oh, yeah. A, mis- a fire has swept through this forest and now it's being planted out with uh, palm, palm oil trees and stuff like that. That's, oh, that's right. the main thing of oh, like, deforestation. Yeah. I think it's like you're not allowed to log this forest, but if it burns down, you can oh, lose okay, the land. Right. So. Yeah mysterious fires yeah 
gotcha. <laughs> now yeah, I understand. It's, it's a bigger problem in the um, developing world because the regulation obviously is so much slacker generally. So yeah, and people are more yeah. desperate. Like if you don't exactly, have any it, other like options. who cares <laughs> if you're desperate? It's yeah. hard to care about the yeah. like overall Earth's deforestation when you don't have food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and as well with like the economic ramifications of doing something illegal in a third world country, it's like, oh, you call that a fine, do you? I'll do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the idea is we we have a lot of humans and we use a lot of things, and if we stopped using so many things and making so many humans, then the Earth would be better able to um, sustain us. Now they also. If this was on their website, if this was just a point that I kind of wanted to to mention, is that the extent to which human growth is in direct conflict with the environment can be argued. Like there's a lot that we can be doing a lot more efficiently. And I've seen some studies, I'm sorry, I can't remember where, that was calculating we could actually support around about 10 billion humans um, if we, you know, utilize technology um, in the best way. So if we improve our solar energy which is very environmentally friendly obviously it's not perfect but it's pretty good um more efficient farming uh agriculture is a a biggie and and and, um i think getting further with the the fake meat so lab-grown meat Mm. um will make a big difference because farming livestock for meat um is one of the worst things that we do to the earth so Yeah, yeah, no, the constant the constant methane production does mm. crazy things to um, our global warming problem. So, mm. um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's one of the things space. that you were talking about in that episode about existential things. So they were talking mm. about the methane pockets above the ocean. It's like we're just doing the small version of that. Well, comparatively mm. small. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can I just tell you something <clears throat> cool about, like, the future of solar? Yes. Yeah, go for it. Solar windows, guys. Solar windows. So they've got the technology that good now that, like, you know, the concept of window tinting, like polarization. Mm-hmm. They've got that that small now that they can get it inside um, uh, double glazed windows, and it electronically is controlled um, with um, sun sensors. So as the sun hits the window, it does the full tint effect oh. and blocks the sun coming through the window, but it also Absorbs, what um, absorbs, the, absorbs the um, and creates the electricity for the building as well. That's oh, amazing. That's so, so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it stops the heat coming in, so you use less air use conditioning. Less and then, yeah, it, and it's double uh, double glazed or trip, probably be triple glazed in the future and that pretty easily then as well. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, insulates heat in because I think 30% of heat loss and heat absorption comes through your windows anyway. So, Like if you could get something like that affordable like and not ridiculous, that would be really good. Yeah. I mean, every every house has a couple of windows that are aimed at some awkward spot. West, west facing. Or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And having something that auto blocks them and powers your house sounds fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You get a lot more... You get a lot more um, uh, glass ceilings, I reckon, as well in the future. Mm. That's yeah. Okay. yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. Yeah, I never really thought of it. That's real, and that just fits into the whole. Um, oh, do you know? Do you know solar punk aesthetic? Mm. I suppose you know, like um, steampunk and cyberpunk. Solar punk. Oh, solar punk. Solar punk is one of those ones. It's like it's so it far away from Google it now. Punk, 
punk is absolutely not the right term, but it's that like style mm -hmm. of uh, you know futuristic sci-fi where oh, yeah, there's a lot cool. of green spaces and pedestrian spaces and everything's uh, kind of bright this and lovely. Really reminds me of um, the game uh, Anno twenty Anno twenty fifty or something where you can pick the um, environmentally friendly future route and everything's yeah. like this. Yeah, like, it's, it's really um, yeah, it's awesome. And it's what kind of Melbourne is is trying to do. I know with all their new buildings, they've got a big focus on having green walls and having pedestrian spaces and that kind of thing. So yeah, mm. um, can I just get? I, I didn't quite hear the definition of solar punk, but can I have like a stab that like you'll have like a solar panel hat and you're like walking around <laughs> and it's, you've got like a phone charger coming out, so you're charging all your tech, but like you, you walking around in like a mirror suit. You would have seen it in like a hundred like games or movies or something. It's Daniel, thing where everything's kind of white and covered in trees. Daniel, Daniel, stop trying to outside influence my imagination on this one. <laughs> I do like the idea of solar panel hats though. Yeah. <laughs> How is your smartphone while you're walking around? I did, I did make a bet though with my friends a couple of years ago that when 5G came out, I was going to make an anti-5G signal crystal hat. Oh, God. <laughs> so, so I got it. So we've got to, got to do that this year. You'd be a millionaire. Oh, man. Uh, all right, let's move on to the second of the three uh, reasons uh, that, that Cassie wants to push for a steady state economy, and that is ecological and economic sustainability. Um, so they argue that with a more steady economy, you're going to reduce the cyclical unemployment. So the way economies tend to work now is you have a period of boom and a period of bust, and there's a certain... Uh, level of employment that will be people are employed during the boom and then unemployed during the bust. So that's obviously really disruptive um, um, to individuals as well as to society. So if we can stop that and just have a, a stable level of employment, that's all a bit better. Mm. Um, they also make the point that governments should be starting to preference people above GDP. Um, and they make the point a lot that GDP, it's a good measure of economic activity, um, but it's not a good measure of, you know, actual personal well-being, no, um, no. which I think is 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 very fair. Because, uh, I, mean, I mean, the thing is, there's no real difference in GDP whether one person is making 10 people's worth of stuff or 10 people are making it. Like, it doesn't really account for individuals. Yeah, it doesn't account for inequality <clears throat> and it doesn't account for resource depletion. Um, mm. uh, like, if you're mining um, iron ore, um, it doesn't... There's no kind of negatives that represent the fact that eventually that will run out. It's just mm. counted as positives. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. And another point is that things like um, bad health actually counts positive as GDP because people are spending money on hospitals and crime yeah. counts positively in GDP because people are spending money on police. GDP um, is basically like a hot dog eating contest. <laughs> it's basically, it's just the highest number wins, but there's all these negative things with that high number. But... <laughs> No one talks about it. <laughs> it's not part of the competition. Yeah. And I see some people like wanting to change the way GDP is calculated so that it does reflect welfare a bit better. And yeah. I don't know, I'd rather just keep it as it is, but just have people in governments acknowledge the fact that there are other important things than just GDP. It seems to be this one thing that everyone just boils everything down to. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they do. I mean, I think I think there is definitely merit in creating like another version 
where basically, you know, the, the global index is, you know, something that does partially reflect at least where the wealth is coming from and how equally distributed that product is. Uh, because then hopefully that would alter the way that we focus on things mm. uh, and maybe the conversation would change because we're all trying to compete to get the high number. But I think GDP is the number because it's convenient. And the mm. thing is, I think you'd have trouble trying to get people to use another index because it's less manipulatable, I guess. Mm. <laughs> and the thing is, GDP plays into like stock markets and all that sort of thing. So it's like, you can, you know, say, oh, you should invest here because we have all this product that we're creating and like welfare kind of just messes with that narrative. So I think mm. it's used because it's convenient. Yeah. And so it's a shame. I really wish there was something else, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, some countries, I know New Zealand has like a happiness index that they actually measure and report on. I think yeah, no, they're think... the only ones. I think no, I've heard of some countries doing similar things. Um, hopefully it catches on. It hasn't mm. really yet, but I really hope it does. Yeah. Because that would be a great change in the conversation to at least have it as a factor. Mm. 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 Um, so I'll also just take a little bit of a tangent. So I'm quite, quite the skeptic when people are trying to convince me of things. I tend to be very aware of that and be like, hang on a minute, what are you doing here? Um, and so while looking into this, it's obviously something that's a little bit fringe, a little bit new, and I was kind of trying to work out how positive or negative my opinion of this is. And looking at this page uh, where they talk about jobs and economic sustainability is where the first red flag hits because on this page they have a picture of C-3PO and R2-D2. <laughs> and I'm like... What on earth? Uh, I don't know so, quite why they've made this choice. I mean, I don't know. I was gonna wait it's until weird. you kind of. I was gonna wait until you kind of got to it. But the thing is, obviously, the environmental side makes perfect sense. I just have yeah. all these questions about the economic side. I didn't know yeah. if we were gonna hit them. But the main thing I was wondering in my head was like, if you're completely controlling everything, it means you're basically having to budget out consumption mm. somehow um, to everyone and every organization, and every business. How does someone then decide that they want to make something new within that yeah. system? Like that, that because it's not budgeted for, um, someone else has to stop making something or something. Like, and that's why I was like, mm. that's where my first, I don't know how that would work thing came and in. I, yeah, there's that. And there's, it's basically, I think one of the other things is the way that capitalism has happened over the past couple of decades it's as automation and technology makes things more efficient um instead of having everyone work fewer hours to have the same amount of productivity we just like fire half the people and then have half the people still work full hours so uh, i think it'd be yeah. imagine that's kind of what they'd be going for is more having more leisure time and as new things come up we kind of get rid of the old things. Yeah, it's, and there's, there's, you know, what I've written, suspiciously little technical research on this page. It's all quite conceptual. Mm. But no. I'm kind of willing to forgive that a little bit because this is something that's never happened before. Like, what yeah, are they going to measure, you know? Yeah. And economics is so complicated that it is very hard to predict well, well, I just, I, I, yeah. think, I think all I'd want is some basic explanation about mm. how progress was meant to happen. This completely makes sense in that kind of um, 
uh, the kind of Soviet model where mm-hmm. like they were sort of just planning everything to say we're going to make this much of this, this much of this, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. doesn't really allow for anything new, but it means that we've planned for everything to be just consistent and recycling, essentially. Uh, but I, well, I'm trying to quickly read through your notes to see if there's anything here, but I, I'm just trying to see how they account for progress, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so- yeah. I'm, I'm looking now at an article written by Herman Daly who uh, kind of founded this whole thing um, and he says, oh, where are we? Finally, I eagerly submit that even if we limit quantitative physical throughput growth, it should still be possible to experience qualitative improvement development thanks to technological advances and to the ethical improvement of our priorities. But, again, they don't really... But then, like, to allow for testing and experimentation and new industries and technology changes, like, there'd have to be, I don't know, I guess maybe you set aside, like, a fudge percentage, so, like, you can can screw up within a margin, but then everyone would have to apply for it or something? I don't know, that just sounds really... Yeah, it's hard. How much of this is supposed to be just kind of a cultural change that then just happens naturally, and how much is it meant to be mandated because... But it's I think this is why I think this imagine. is why like they use the um the pricing system, which, which kind of makes sense with the way they were doing the carbon tax. Mm. Like what you could potentially do is make it so that the closer and closer you get to that um that magic point, the more and more the magic point of insist- unsustainable, it becomes like infinitely more expensive to buy the carbon tickets mm. or something. I don't know. But then you're just massively disincentivizing progress. So I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's about changing your perception of the definition of progress. Well, even but even qualitative, the thing is the process by which you mm. have qualitative development is usually there's a whole bunch of research and development. Some new businesses try it because they have nothing to lose and then make it work. And then the big ones say, oh, okay, maybe we'll do that. And they do mm. that, that kind of thing. Like it's, it's that kind of thing that, are, that needs like mess up territory i guess and like yeah uh, free space yeah yeah if you've got <clears throat> if you've got 10 bakers making bread and you there's not allowed to be an 11th baker who's going to make cake yeah. yeah and then you can kind of and then you can really easily end up with a cartel system because no mm. one is allowed to come in um they just make a deal to not do anything like the big four banks um Mm. and basically say can you imagine the big four banks if there was no medium or small ones like (laughs) like they would be even worse than they already are (laughs) like yeah Yeah. it's it's that 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 that's my concern is is that problem yeah yeah you are you are making these black market cakes sound very lucrative though carla (laughs) (laughs) but this is exactly what this is what this is what like this is what the soviet union's economic problems largely were actually which was basically where they had people who were allowed to be doing certain things and then they kind of just do it however they want as much as they want as crappily as they want because (laughs) like um there wasn't a huge incentive or they also had the problem that there was no money so Mm. like you extra didn't really care um a lot of the time so like Mm. mm. yeah yeah like yeah (laughs) i'm looking at their like faqs 
page, which they call Myths and Reality, which is also a bit melodramatic. Um, mm. But the the myth is that technology and progress will grind to a halt in a steady state economy. And their response is, a strong incentive for technological progress exists in a steady state economy because of the drive for better goods and services. With stabilised material and energy inputs, technological progress between the main source of higher quality outputs. But yeah, if all of those stabilised material and energy inputs are being used... It is. Yeah, like, is it how are you going to get that progress? Or is like they're going to? Yeah, exactly. Like, there's, there's no room for anything really new except with the the government budgets. But even then, that in the Soviet economy, they at least had a government that was basically saying we want to grow, so we're going to allow for these spaces, or like mm. we're going to give you the lucrative license that lets you develop things or something. Whereas this isn't going to have that. I don't yeah. know. So the best, I mean, really, the best analogy is the Soviet economy of like the fifties and sixties um, to this, is, which isn't is probably the best equivalent. Isn't quite a success story. No. No. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move briefly on to their their third point, uh, which is national security and international stability. So they mm. argue that growth might be a major cause of war, uh, and the steady state might yeah. be a necessity to eliminate uh, for eliminating that cause due to resource demand. So basically, saying you know, both through our just general growth and having more people that need more things and more space, uh, mm. and especially with climate change, global warming is going to be uh, causing more kind of natural disasters and sea level rising and water shortages and, and, and all that jazz, that the more that we're um, kind of using up the earth, I suppose, mm. the more security yeah, tension there's going to be. Um, yeah. And the idea that if we can stop runaway growth, then that will be you know, lessened or at least, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Lessened. You yeah, know, I, I think, I think, I think, I think military, uh, or the use like conflict in the mil the use of the military has changed a lot over the many centuries. I think mm. it depends on part of the world you're in, but like it used to be obviously that, you know, I have this stuff and you have a mine that's on your side of the territory. So I want to invade and take your mine. <clears throat> because then I get to grow, you know, so that you might invade someone and take the lucrative parts of their empire and leave them with the crap bit that doesn't make any money. Um, so that was kind of what a lot of military conflict was. And you're so you're right. You're completely right. Mm. Um, I think that stuff still sort of happens in developing countries because um, there's still there's less money and less technology flying around in general. So having more material resources and fossil resources and things makes more sense. And, the, and obviously you have the, the, the example of um, the diamond mines in sub-Saharan Africa mm. where you'd have like tribes and small groups and stuff fighting over it constantly and um, lots of violence to get that natural resource because you can sell it and make money. And so that definitely plays into this. I think what you've got now in developed countries though is you've got sort of a thing because everyone has these free market sorry free uh, sorry what's the trade deals mm. the free trade deals what instead happens is you just try and buy up as much of the world as you possibly can mm. so instead of actually invading anything because you don't really need to what you do is the americans but actually the british really pioneered it because they created the east india company and then they basically gave a company a country 
privatization on crack (laughs) um and but no but then the americans sort of did it now the chinese are doing it because they're buying up lots of africa and stuff like that it's um so modern developed military conflict i don't know if this would or not i actually know what you know actually you know what you argue that there's a lot of yeah the china america thing is all economic and growth related so actually that's a very good point so I'm going to retract most of what I just said. And say, Don't do it, Daniel. <laughs> Don't do it. It's a trap. Because <laughs> if they weren't infringing on each other's economic health, they wouldn't be so belligerent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's another one. And, and all three of these kind of reasons and what they say, like, if you take it at, at its simplest form, which is that you can't have, like, it's impossible to have infinite growth mm. on a finite planet yeah that kind of very simple view is like well yeah that's that's true like (laughs) at some point we're gonna have to become sustainable or we're gonna you know eat eat the world out from under us yeah but i don't really see enough i don't know solid proposals i suppose and i mean i haven't this desire for growth pushes us off earth (laughs) <laughs> so then well, we yeah, start like utilizing that. the rest of the solar system because we've run out of like you know we're like ah shit we're doing it too quickly we're gonna go elsewhere like if that was the end product that would be pretty cool but i feel I like don't. we're on the on the path to running out of <laughs> yeah before we had the technology yeah. to do that right. <laughs> oh, i heard a good one i've heard i've heard a couple of good ones on that one carla yeah but energy energy isn't like destroyed or created so eh. and i was like and i was like ah oh, yeah, but sort of like, oh, everything has a half-life and sort of like breaks down into smaller things, so nothing is permanent. I think we should do something about this Earth because it's pretty cool mm. the way it is and half-lifing it down, mm, no good. Yeah, so I think pushing for the environmental stuff is, I think, kind of obviously going to be needed at some point. We're going to have to reach a point where we're, everything that we take is sustainable and can be replenished at the same rate as what we're taking in. Yeah. The economy, though, I feel like is growth because it's not a tangible, it's not a tangible thing. It's just kind of this system that humans have made up with numbers. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm just not really seeing, I don't know. I keep going back and forth on these. Basically, where it'll seem obviously true, and then it's like, but how, what are they actually proposing, you know? I, yeah. on, the, on the ecological stuff, I totally agree. Like, we need some kind of system in place that stops us from using up all the Earth's resources too quickly and killing ourselves. Mm. Um, but yeah, economically, I, it doesn't really make I don't really see how this is any different to 50s and 60s Soviet Russia, like in any meaningful sense. Um, so if, I would love to hear a, a more detailed pitch or something. I suppose maybe I'll go look it up. Yeah, and like they do have they do have proper academic papers that I admit I haven't read through. I'm yeah. just mainly basing it on the website and their yeah. more simple PDFs that they've got. Um, yeah. But that becomes another red flag too because they they do publish uh, in this scientific journal um uh what was it called economic 
no, ecological economics. Um, But the founder of Cass also founded that journal. (laughs) 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 Right? And and if you look through the... um, Sir, we can't publish this. It's not not substantiated. Nothing's real. (laughs) You'll do it. You'll like it. (laughs) And, And some of the related Wikipedia pages have got that this article may be unbalanced warning on them. And then I googled... The, the, so Herman Daly is the kind of economic e- economist who um, founded it. And when I Googled him, I found a page saying that he was a Nobel Prize Prize nominee. But then I went to the actual Nobel Prize website and it says neither the names nor nomination, the names of the nominators nor of nominees for the Nobel Peace Prize may be divulged until 50 years for, have elapsed. So I went back to the first page talking about the Nobel Peace Prize and it's actually an independent, in air quotes, groups promoting a Nobel Peace Prize for sustainable development, which isn't a real <laughs> Nobel Prize, and it's run by ecological economists, which is this same group. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the same dude making up a whole bunch of stuff and saying, see, I'm smart because this guy, not me said so. (laughs) Yeah, as I said, I keep going back and forth on it and reading some stuff and be like, yeah, that sounds really legitimate and and true. And then other stuff being like, that's just... It sounds to me like it's a guy who probably knows a lot about um, environmental science, has gone yes. off and, as a hobby, learnt some economics. Yes, that <laughs> like, is exactly and now, right. and now he's marrying the two where he knows a lot about one and very little about the other one. Yeah. Or, like, it's like it's how he feels it should work, but he hasn't really looked into prior examples or something i don't know yeah so like a lot of their main people are like have phds in ecology or yeah yeah well ecological (laughs) economics but it's yeah it's all a little like you've done one a lot and the other one's a hobby or something and like you you know so you've kind of got what it seems to be but it's entirely based on your expert opinion of one side, I guess, which is the uh, ecological side, which makes perfect sense. Like making a system that basically just uses up, you know, however much we can use up, perfect sense. Totally understand. Mm. It's just, yeah. And I can see coming yeah. from a science perspective that, <clears throat> that it seems obvious in that way. Yeah. 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 Because obviously that's what they spend all their time doing, you know. They probably spend all their time bemoaning these things that are happening and and, <clears throat> and wishing it was this way or that way, and that forms your entire sort of experience and thinking. And so, yeah, I I think like I, I think I'd be interested to see if someone who really knows what they're talking about has dug into this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Economically, yeah. and says actually it makes sense because of this and this and this or something. But yeah, at the moment I'm not seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, on the other hand, you know, new revolutionary ways of thinking Mm. that do turn out to be true or like useful also start as fringe. Mm. You you know, (laughs) like, um, 
Uh, I think that's like it's like when Marx came about originally and started pitching all his stuff, and then like a lot of people thought a lot of what he said was crazy, but then parts of it made a lot of sense, and then you ended up with like unions and weekends and labor rights and things like as much as as much as people crap on like communism itself the thing is it was stuff like his writing that created the union movements and Mm. really gave us a lot of the rights that we enjoy today Mm. so i think that's maybe what the case is here maybe there's a lot of juice in here that makes sense but there's also a lot of crap we shouldn't really (laughs) dig into too much i I don't know i don't know (laughs) yeah yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. I, I, I don't know. Um, I think it's I think it's a really great idea. I think it's something that I want mainstream economists to be talking about, uh, but I don't really think these guys are mainstream economists. I do love the conspiracy theory thing that like he is everything in this conversation. Like he, <laughs> he wrote like... the thing, he owns the company, he ran the the um he ran the orphans. <laughs> It's not like it's just one guy, it's a couple of them. He's but... got multiple personalities. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Plato and Socrates all over again. <laughs> what a good idea, Herbert. You should get an award for this. Why, thank you, Herbert. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, it's, not, it's not that. Like, I don't want to just, you know, go on the podcast and be like, this guy's a fucking idiot. That's not what I'm trying to do, but... I'm yeah. saying he's a little nuts. <laughs> but there's some cool stuff here. So what was that, Shen? We live in an embellished generation. I say we just go for it and embellish this guy. <laughs> I'm trying to look for, um, oh maybe this one. I'm trying to look for a piece of writing by um Brian Check, who's the executive director, because I read some of his and it like it sounded like. A freaking, um, uh, what's his name? Alex Jones style. Okay, here we go. Uh, that's encouraging. Democrats are stunned by Donald Trump's lack of culpability for racist rhetoric, Twitter tantrums, and international insults. They shouldn't be. They're the party of it's the economy, stupid. They should know that if a president inspires a bull market, creates a few jobs, grows a GDP, he can stand in the middle of the Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody without losing voters. Elected Dems can't hold Trump accountable because they can't break their own addiction to growth. They're defenseless against a growth-mongering president. They want the credit for economic momentum from the Obama (laughs) era, yet they just know that stock market boom is all about Trump. Like, it's just... That wasn't even the <laughs> best example, but it just gets a little wait, wait, bit wait, No, Karma, you did great then. You got right into it. I was compelled. I feel like <laughs> you need to become a conservative shock jockey. Uh, <laughs> clearly your future. <clears throat> so, yeah, I found his writing to be a little bit alarmist. I, yeah. I only found out yesterday what a bull market meant and a, and a, and a bear market. Mm. Do you guys mean? Uh, um, when a bull attacks, it goes from the horns down up. Mm-hmm. And that's so so a, a bull market is a, a market that goes up, and a bear market they claw down. Hmm. Yeah, I don't actually know it was related to what the animals did. I just knew bull meant up and bear hey, meant down. <laughs> hey, I was I was um, getting coffee yesterday, and I saw it on Alan DeGeneres. She oh. taught me that yesterday. Well, thank you, Alan. Yeah. 
So I hope she's right, but I think she, she, <laughs> well, she, didn't, the she end, didn't look like she was lying to me. Well, Bob is up and Bear is down. I just had no idea that was the reason. Okay, yeah, cool. but there you go. Yeah, yeah, if a bull attacks it from the bottom up, and if a bear attacks it from the top down. And that's, 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 that's the reference. So, yeah. Groovy. Thank you, Daniel, for confirming that. Alan, 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 <laughs> thank you for the lesson today and yesterday, Alan. I love a lesser-known cousin, Alan DeGeneres. <laughs> I kept thinking you were saying Alan at first. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's that's what I had on um, the Centre for the Advancement of the City-State Economy. Possibly just, something to keep an just, eye on. I'm just reading through your notes and having fun. The, the oh, Bible. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Bible verse. <laughs> yeah, that was another one that was a bit of a red flag for me. You know, it's um, an article with a Bible verse, uh, oh. Isaiah 46, all flesh is grass. And it does fit the point. It's a good it, – it, it's saying that, you know, there's – the grass grows and then the herbivores eat the grass and then the yep. mid-range predators eat those and then the mid – the top predators eat those. So like all the flesh in the world is from the energy of the grass. Yep. Um, but I don't it just know. seems like a flex Opening. quote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> Look at my Bible knowledge. Physical <laughs> <laughs> <like your> flex. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, this is really, it was really interesting because, like, obviously, I've heard things like this, like where it's mm. about like sustainability models and stuff like that. Um, I haven't really seen it gone into like a full, mo- even actually, no, this is really, I don't know if this is a full model or not. Hold on, I'm just, I'm just quick, quickly reading through your um, your economic notes to see yeah, if we. Yeah, I don't. Do I didn't go. Uh, it's probably because we started trashing and you skipped it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, no, it's just, it just sounds like, yeah, basically it's not fantastically well explained, like how progress is made. Yeah. And, and it would be good to have less, you know, highs and lows and to make things be a bit more steady. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, having nothing that they say is a bad, uh, ideal. Yeah, like getting rid of the whole constant boom or bust thing um, mm. would be good, definitely, because mm. uh, it never really helps anyone. Except, the, the I mean, the only positive the only positive you get sometimes is creative destruction, where you got these stagnant businesses that get nuked mm. um, during the bust periods, and like then actually nuked. Yeah, actually, they, <laughs> the government drops nukes on them. <laughs> You're not uh, doing basically, good they get. They disappear because they can't, they, they're not actually built to sustain themselves or handle anything. They've just been writing something inefficiently and then something pops up in their place afterwards. That's probably the only positive I can think of. I'd rather, it's not really worth it. Mm. <laughs> There's probably much better ways we can do things like that. So, mm. um, yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely worth looking into. So this is, this was a cool topic to cover. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Mm. Awesome. Can I end right. this episode on as a completely different tangent? Please do. So, like, it, with um, with the whole like COVID and bloody things randomly missing from the supermarkets, yeah. it was it was milk yesterday. I couldn't milk. get any milk. I'm like, really? I'm like, what have people done in like the past in the past three months? Why this time around has, has there been some revelation in like keeping milk longer technology? <laughs> Make your normal milk last six months so you could buy a fridge dedicated to milk I, and never I run just, out again. I like, think what, like, what happened? I think like what Carl was saying the other time with the lizard brain thing about the toilet paper, I think 
people just see there's not much milk there and they go, oh shit, and then they buy a bunch. Like yeah. it's 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 just it's just panic buying. Like people see stuff missing and they just buy more. Oh, was there toilet paper though, or is that now normal and that's there? No, you can't buy more than one, so they fixed that problem. I don't know why they didn't oh, do it okay. straight away. It took them two months. Well, I know they have the can't buy more than two thing on the milk. Well, they did it the one I went to the other day, and it's still sold out. <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. It's like to me, it must have been like cafe milk suppliers just disappeared, so they had to go raid supermarkets or something but yeah, yeah like, look, possibly yeah like it's just not a good idea like just to start yeah. drinking more milk like it's, <laughs> like orange juice like that should be running out you know yep. get that get that vitamin schnee in here yeah vitamin schnee yeah but yeah that's <laughs> it people don't don't drink more milk <laughs> <laughs> don't drink milk in general <laughs> i don't yeah. know i'm just saying things yeah good don't yeah no you're not wrong we're and very helpful note. as like an authority of knowledge, um, <laughs> just yelling at people and saying random things. <laughs> uh, awesome. All right. Well, that was fun. Right. That was. Well, good episode, guys. Well, we'll wrap up and then we'll, um, next time we are going to be doing our 50th episode. Woo! And I'm going to put it on YouTube because they're all going on YouTube now, but I'll talk more about that next time. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, have fun. Uh, it's, I've been Daniel. I've been Carla. And I'm still Shannon, and see all you beautiful people later. Still Shannon. La 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 la.